I am a person, la la la. Um, <laughs> hope my volume is good. Check one, two, check one, two. I will hug the mic. This is Chris Reynolds, and welcome to the Entrepreneur House podcast. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for established entrepreneurs creating events and retreats all over the world. If you're ready to take your business to the next level with other successful entrepreneurs, be sure to apply at theentrepreneurhouse.com. On this episode, listeners, we are privileged to have Chris Van Patten on our show. Chris is the founder of Van Patten Media and Tomodomo. Van Patten Media and Tomodomo are both web development creative agencies that focus on community-based businesses. Today, we talk about growing a business from five figures to six figures. Chris dives deep into the exact actions and steps he took to take his business to six figures. He also talks about how he landed clients such as Broadway actors, large bloggers, record labels, and some of the biggest entrepreneurial communities out there today. All right. In three, two, one, let me welcome my good friend, Chris Van Patten to the show. How are you doing, Chris? I'm doing good. How are you? Good. I want to say welcome back to the Entrepreneur House podcast. It's been a while and we're glad to have you back. How's life been? Life has been good, very busy. Uh, lots going on in the, the personal life and work, and yeah, just a, a lot going on since the last time. So Chris was in the very first house that we had in Barcelona for three months, and that was the the magical house that created the Entrepreneur House to what it is today, where we started masterminding and goal setting, and it was just a bunch of us kind of crazy entrepreneurs that thought we were going to have fun in Barcelona and and build our businesses and, did. and we did <laughs> yeah <laughs> what was that like for you it was your first time leaving new york right to spend an extended time overseas uh it was my second time but my first time doing it alone i had been overseas before for um uh, study abroad in college but i had never actually kind of gone just you know spontaneous by myself spur of the moment um you know doing something like that so that was a cool experience uh, definitely I look back, and, and that's definitely one of the more transformative uh, experiences that I've, I think I've had. So, uh, yeah, yeah, still think about it a lot. Still think about Barcelona a lot. I'll, I'll never forget that Christmas card you sent me afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, I, I'm still the Christmas cards are always something that people say. I remember that card you sent me. So, definitely <laughs> gonna keep that up. <laughs> so, are you gonna come back to Barcelona anytime? Yeah. Um, no immediate plans. I was there uh, last year uh, for the Dynamite Circle BCN conference. Yeah. Um, that was great. It was so much fun. I was only there for a couple of days. Um, I was in Prague at the time, just kind of bounced over for the conference. But so much fun to go back and kind of you know remember a lot of the old sites. I was staying you know, ten minute walk from uh, our house on uh, you know that was on Carrera uh, Canvinu, um, and I was staying just up uh, Latana. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was kind of cool just to kind of be right back, you know, in this very familiar neighborhood just for a couple days, um, and, you know, see the old sites and, um, you know, to be honest, I, I skipped part of the conference to just kind of go walk around and kind of remember, you know, uh, you know, walking through, uh, Gaptico and, um, and, uh, and yeah, just having a, a really great time kind of refreshing my memory of Barcelona. Very cool. Well, I will be there for three months this summer. If you want to come and hang out for a few days, you're more than welcome. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Might be good to get away. Eventually, I like to get a, a flat there. 
you know, with an, a, an extra bedroom or two, and then you can come over and always have a place to stay. Yeah, you know, I think you might have to soon if they keep uh, cracking down on tourism and Airbnb <laughs> the way they have been. <laughs> That's true. So the reason why we brought, we brought Chris back on the show is that he's recently take, taken his business from six figures, or excuse me, five figures to six figures. And six to seven would have been really nice, but that's, we can't lie. That's next, that's next year. That's next <laughs> yeah, year. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and so we're going to talk a little bit about the mentality of that. Chris has uh, two main businesses he's working on now, Van Patten Media and, and his new project, Tomodomo.co. Chris, let's start off by how you got started as an entrepreneur. Sure. So it was kind of a, um, a very unintentional, accidental sort of process. So I, uh, so Van Patten Media, just as a little bit of background, and, and Tomodomo, they're uh, web development uh, creative agencies. So Van Patten Media, I started formally maybe six years ago or so. Um, and, and, but I've been doing web development and web design for a long time before that. I had actually got a, started when I was probably 10 or 11. Um, back in the day, we had Windows 98, and uh, <laughs> Windows 98 came bundled with uh, a free program for making websites. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I got really into that as like a, a nerdy child. Um, just like making stupid little websites that no one was ever going to see because I literally didn't know how to upload them to the internet. You know, this was just making them for your local computer. I had no idea how to make it possible for anybody else to see it. Um, so, but kind of kept doing that over time. Um, by the time I was uh, 14, 15, it was actually pretty good. Um, and by the time I was 16, I got my first paid clients mm. uh, as, a, as a high schooler. Went away to college uh, thinking that I was going to go into theater as a career path, um, hit the end of college and realized I really didn't want to do that. Um, I, it's it's a long slog in the theater world to make a living, and you know most of the people I know who are still in theater, they all have survival jobs. You know they're working as waiters on the side, and and that's great. You know they've got a passion for it. They want to you know they want to be able to devote time to their craft. I didn't want to do that. And I just happened to be in the lucky position that I was already working with clients that I already had this kind of established brand with Van Patten Media. And I said, you know what, rather than kind of going, going to get my master's degree, getting this side job, all this kind of stuff, I'm just going to see if I can make a go of this. And I gave myself uh, two years to see if I could do that. And the two years passed and uh, everything, uh, everything was going really well. So haven't looked back since. Incredible, man. And tell us more about Van Patten Media and, and Tomodomo. Van Patten Media um, was the very unintelligently <laughs> named first company. Um, it sounds good. Obviously. Like <laughs> well, you know, it's it's I named it after myself because I kind of didn't know what else to call it. And that, you know, that kind of stuck. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's actually uh, the evolution of a name that I had of a company that I previously run with a friend of mine um, called Lupino Van Patten Media, and we were a duo doing websites and marketing. Um, he went off to do other things, um, and I said, well, if he's gone, I'm just going to cut his name out of the title and you know, just call it Van Patten Media. Um, but Van Patten Media, uh, from the start, focused, and, and still now, focused kind of on nothing. So there was a real lack of any specific uh, thing that we did. 
um, with generally the, the the one kind of thing was that we we preferred working with WordPress, but really we took on projects from anybody, anybody who had the money to pay us, um, <laughs> who thought we had the skill set that they needed, and if we thought we had the skill set they needed, then then we would try to make it work. And so that meant over the years, uh, we did a lot of work with WordPress um, by virtue of the fact that it's so popular, but we also did work on other platforms. Um, we worked with all types of clients. So we worked with theater people. You know, I had those connections, and so I would do websites for actors and things like that. Mm-hmm. We worked with um, schools. So I did multiple projects with schools in England that just kind of randomly came about. Um, we worked with uh, publishing companies and blogs and, um, you know, just all kinds of different things, which meant that it was very difficult and and continues to be very difficult to do any marketing. And in fact, I never really did any marketing because anytime I tried, nothing really worked Mm -hmm. because it just, it wasn't specific enough. Um, I was very, I have been very fortunate that most of our work comes via word of mouth um, and referrals. So that's, that's certainly great, but it meant that it was always very difficult to scale. And it meant that I went through, I think like most service business owners, you have, um, periods that are that are very successful and you have tons of work and you're overwhelmed and everything's just, you know, everyone's emailing you and you've got lots of projects, but then also periods where nothing's happening and you kind of have to figure out ways to hold on to the team while you're, you know, kind of out of projects or in between projects. Um, and that kind of, that's something that had weighed on me for a long time. So earlier this year, or early last year rather, in 2016, about a year ago now, Uh, We had the opportunity to work on the redesign of the Dynamite Circle Forum. Um, And that was an incredible opportunity um, and really opened me up to this world of community design and forum design and um, all the possibilities that were there. And so through that project um, with the DC, we were found out by or we found by another uh, DCer um, uh, with his his company, E-Commerce Fuel, uh, Andrew Udarian. And he hired us to do some more community stuff for him, for his private community, um, than the people at Vanilla Forums, which is the platform that the DC and e-commerce viewer are built on. They saw our work for these projects and said, hey, we've got some work for you. You know, We've got clients who um, could use more design work. And so it kind of spun very spontaneously um, out of control into realizing that there's there's actually a really big opportunity here. Um, and that's why I started Tomodomo, which is the uh, we call it the premier agency for community uh, design development and strategy um and and yeah that's uh kind of brings us to today how many people do you have on your team now chris you know it varies depending on the project um i have a uh, i have myself i have a project manager uh, who's pretty much involved in every project um we've got a designer we've got uh, two developers, kind of depending on the day, um, and we have a content marketing person. Um, so I guess add that all up, uh, and you'll have the <laughs> total. A VA as well, um, a, a great VA. And uh, but yeah, it's, it's we're we're all sort of contractors, and that kind of makes it easy to um, ramp up or down depending on the scale of the projects that we're working on. It gives everyone kind of the freedom to work from wherever they are, and um, and yeah, it's just a it's a really great little. Uh, little team right now what do you enjoy about web design chris 
Um, that's a great question. I think it, it's ultimately kind of a, a problem-solving thing. So the projects that we find most interesting are the projects where there's some kind of custom integration or piece that um, is maybe a little more complicated. So um, we love, you know, uh, we, we did a project recently where we had to figure out, you know, uh, we needed to do something with a, a company that didn't really have like a, a way to integrate with their software. So we had to figure out how to do that integration and, um, you know, fun little problem solving things like that. Um, with design, you know, sometimes it's coming up with a unique way to showcase a bit of content that is going to make a user actually pay attention to it. Um, and so figuring out, you know, why do users ignore certain pieces of information on a website? How can we make those pieces more obvious or, um, or, or more engaging? So just kind of solving little problems like that, I think, is a lot of fun. And, um, yeah, it's something that, that you know, you, you might think that, you know, forums have been around forever. You know, what else could we possibly do to make forums better and, and increase, you know, the, the value of a forum? But there's actually quite a lot that we can do uh, just in terms of design. You know, making it look prettier um, makes it often easier to work with. So... Um, you know, you, I'm sure you remember the, the old DC was really ugly and kind of difficult to use and things didn't work. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we were able to kind of come in and really streamline it and make it easy to, to find what you're looking for. Easy to, to tell how, you know, how to make a new post and how to make a status post and all these different things. Um, so there's all of that just purely from a design perspective, but then there's also kind of the other software that goes on top of it. So, um, the DC, for example, they have a... Um, a login or a location check-in component. Uh, we didn't actually build that, but that's a good example of a third-party kind of bolt-on piece of software. Um, we have another client who we built this kind of massive directory of service providers. So their members could log in as part of the forum, you know, with their forum login, and they could rate and review different service providers that they had worked with, whether that was a web designer or a photographer or a writer or whatever it was. Um, so that was a really great way to kind of take the existing forum, but then kind of build this new piece on it. So we love those kinds of projects as well, because, you know, especially if you're running a paid membership site, you know, where people are paying you monthly or quarterly or, or whatever, um, they want to get value. Um, and they may not necessarily be the type of person who's going to read every post on the forum. So what are the other ways that you can deliver value that are as, as influential um, as as powerful as engaging, uh, but also meet you know meet the needs of your of your members of your customers. Um, so solving those little problems has been uh, a lot of fun as well. Chris, do you have some tips that you can give to the listeners that would make their sites more engaging? Sure. So, I mean, it depends on the type of website. Um, I think some of the big things that, but I, I think ultimately it comes down to how you're curating your content. Um, and that can, that can be, you know, if you don't have a designer or developer on hand, that can be as simple as having a link on your website, on your blog, let's say that says, click this link first, you know, start here mm -hmm. and maybe highlights the top 10 blog posts that you, that you've written that people really like and says, you know, here are the 10 best things we've written. Go read those right now. You know, that's a great way to start. Um, and I think that's, you know, that content curation element is super essential if you do have a designer if you're lucky to have 
you know somebody on staff who can work with you on that kind of thing maybe it's creating some kind of visual widget on the site that highlights that content um, if you're part of a forum or a membership site like that or if you run one rather you can highlight um, the top content that's being posted whether by you know pinning it to your site uh, that or the top of their discussion list or creating like a featured image that's something that a lot of communities will do um, if you've got a developer you can create little widgets that rank content based on different metrics so uh, we've actually developed different algorithms with our clients in the past that um, that lets them generate automatically a list of the best content on the site by kind of measuring how many likes it's gotten, how many comments, the length of the post, different things like that. So, um, so I mean, to me, like it's you know whether you do it with a technical solution or a design solution or just sort of practically, you know, going in there and and finding the best content. I think really the best sites are the sites, you know, the the most engaging sites are the sites that make it easy to find and enjoy the best parts of those sites, whether that's a blog post or a forum post or whatever it might be. I would agree. Where do you think the future of web design is headed, Chris? Where do I think the future is headed? Boy, if I knew, I would be there in a heartbeat. <laughs> um, I think you're going to see more, and you have, you know, you've, you've seen more of these, these solutions like um, WordPress.com and Squarespace and... Um, Wix and Weebly and um, Webflow and all these different platforms that make it easy for non-technical people to make websites. And I think that's going to continue to be the trend. I think where things are going to go for professional web designers and developers is that we're going to be getting more and more niche and we're going to keep focusing on um, the platforms and, and the problems really that conventional software options like don't provide or conventional design options like Squarespace or whatever like the things that they can't do because they're needed by so few people so like this example of a service provider directory like that was something that we built very specifically for this community and it and it included specific elements of that community's niche um, in the in the creation of that and in terms of the content that we were we were gathering from users in terms of how the users left reviews and things like that so I think it, certainly for us, um, those are the types of problems that we're going to be solving in the long term because those are products that a one-size-fits-all solution kind of by design can't tackle or can't uh, accommodate. Now, Chris, you recently took your business to six figures, and um, I want to dig in a little bit about the mentalities between a five-figure business or five-figure entrepreneur and a six-figure entrepreneur. And can you share your, some of your thoughts on that? Sure. So, I mean, I guess in, in full disclosure, getting to six figures was not, it was something that I had had for a goal for a long time, um, mm -hmm. but it was never something, it, the fact that it happened was in a way a lot of luck. You know, it was getting that DC project, having that spin into uh, this e-commerce field project and, 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 you know, the the train kind of kept going from there whether I wanted it to or not. So <laughs> in a lot of ways, it was being at the right place at the right time. Now, that said, um, I think the mentality of the six-figure business is that you do get more comfortable with specializing. Mm -hmm. um, so while I was kind of lucky that it happened, I think it's, it's kind of a direct result of the fact that I decided I wanted to specialize in these types of projects and I wanted to go after these types of projects. 
um, the community project. So it's, um, you know, it, it was luck, but it was also sort of, you know, a, a direct outreach of that um, that specialization. And I think as a six-figure entrepreneur, you get more more willing to say no because you know a little bit better. Um, you know, you're aware of the projects that got you to six figures, and you know what works. I think you become more comfortable saying, you know, that that might not be right for me. Um, and I think you also, you know, as a kind of direct corollary to that is that you get willing to turn down money, which, you know, two years ago I would have thought was crazy. You know, if a project <laughs> comes and and they've got, you know, a decent budget, then you kind of take whatever comes your way. Um, and I think when you when you get to six figures and beyond um, and you start to turn down projects because, you know, like I just said, you know, maybe it's not the right fit in terms of the types of projects you want to work on. Part of it also is learning to say no to the projects where the the budget just isn't what you might want it to be. So last year I was in Amsterdam and was had just kind of finished off the DC project and was feeling really good. We were in the middle of the e-commerce field project and I, I kind of knew that I wanted to go down this sort of community forum niche and was referred to somebody who was looking for something that on paper was kind of exactly the type of project that we wanted to work on. It was a forum. It was um, a migration from a platform that we had done migrations from uh, in the past. Um, they had custom software components that they wanted. You know, they wanted us to build this member directory and different things, and and we knew how to do that. And so on paper, everything seemed like it was you know exactly the right uh, the right circumstance. It was kind of, it looked really good. Uh, but when we got on the call, um, and you know, we're, we're going through the different pieces and parts and, you know, this is great. This is great. All right. You know, kind of what's your budget. And, and it, the number just came in way lower than kind of, we, we thought that, um, you know, we knew we could do it for that number. Um, but we knew that there wouldn't be any margin. And if anything kind of went out of control on the project that, as it kind of happens all the time, you know, it's <laughs> not a bad thing. It just means that, you know, you want to be prepared for those those contingencies. And we knew that with the budget that the client had uh, for this particular project, that just wasn't going to be viable. So ultimately, we had to walk away from that one. And that was difficult. And I mean, even at the time, I had projected that I would be in six figures for the year, but I didn't know for sure. But I think knowing that that or having that projection in the back of my mind and, and you know, we didn't need that client to get to six figures. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was, it was much easier to be able to say, you know what? I think I, I, I don't think this is the right opportunity for us. And, and it's hard to say that. Um, but, but it was still, I think ultimately the right thing to do for everybody involved, because, um, if we're at a point where we're in the middle of the project and we run out of money then it kind of forces us to work for free for the duration of the project. Right. And, that really just makes us resent the client and they get frustrated if, if we're working slowly because we're kind of scrambling in the background to find other revenue sources and, and all this kind of stuff. So at the end of the day, um, I would say those are, you know, being able to turn down projects, whether for money or, or for other reasons, I think is a big part of it. But to be honest, I think another thing that kind of got me to six figures that I've only kind of realized in hindsight was that um, for the duration, or for most of 2016, um, and, and kind of the second part of 2015 as well, um, it was this, it, we're, we're kind of the busiest 
kind of the busiest year of my life. If you look from kind of maybe October of 2015 to October 2016, um, right, kicking off with a one month trip to uh, Southeast Asia, um, mm-hmm. you know, where I saw you guys in Chiang Mai, um, coming back, being in a relationship for a little while, um, uh, my then girlfriend and I taking a trip to California and then Japan in uh, May into June. Then I was in Prague for uh, most of June and part of July with that trip over to Barcelona. And then, you know, it, it just kind of, um, you know, being in relationships a lot of times. So we would be, you know, constantly doing activities and hanging out and going to you know, museums and, and eating out and all this stuff. I think all of that, you know, having so much going on in my personal life and needing to be able to make time for all of that meant that I had to be smarter about the types of projects that I worked on and Mm. also my involvement in those projects. So it made things like hiring better people a higher priority because I knew that I wasn't, you know, in, in, you know, if you look back two years, I was spending 12, 13 hours a day on the business, sometimes more because I just frankly didn't have anything else to do. Mm. Um, and so kind of developing a social life, getting closer to my friends, you know, being in a relationship for a while there, um, all that kind of stuff meant that I had to be smarter about what I was doing because I had less time to give to the business. I had to make sure that the time I did give to the business was as productive as possible. And I had to make sure the business was set up to run efficiently when I couldn't be around. Um, and that's that's still an ongoing process. Um but, um, you know, getting all those pieces in place, getting the team in place, getting the processes in place and everything, that's, you know, I don't think that's going to stop uh, being a focus for a while. Um, I, I still feel like there's a lot we can do to grow there. But I would absolutely say that, especially in hindsight, I can see that, you know, that definitely contributed to being able to get into a six-figure mindset and, and ultimately, you know, reach that goal. I love it, man. The more and more I hear about people reaching the next level of their business it all boils down to becoming very niche not all of it but a lot of it becomes very niche 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 target 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 in in the the niche in being for you know who your types of customers are but i think it's also important as the business owner that you know what your specific niche is within your company um so for me it's not so much being in there doing coding every day, although I, you know, I like doing that. I like being involved in that side of things. But ultimately, um, for me, I'm much more effective in the business um, doing sort of uh, working with the client to understand their users and developing scopes and, and figuring out how to communicate those to developers. That's something that I can do that nobody else in the company can do. You know, I can hire a developer. I can hire a designer, but I can't. Or, or, you know, I, I could, but but right now the place that I fit in best is is really kind of being the bridge between the client and developers because a lot of people are afraid of developers. And so I'm, I can kind of serve as that, uh, that translation point, which is ultimately like something that I can do that nobody else can do that is just way more valuable and, and way more focused. Chris, two or three must-dos for entrepreneurs that are trying to reach the six-figure level? Two or three. Um, I think first is definitely know exactly the type of project that you want. And that doesn't mean you're always going to have to take on those projects. Um, 
but but I think it's good to have a list of, you know, in my ideal world, these are the problems that we would solve. This is the the uh, the solution that we would deliver. This is what the budget would be. This is what the time frame would be, and have that you know, written down. Maybe that's you know one or two things. If you're a product business, maybe that's your your target customer, and and have a very clear idea of that. Because then when you go out there into the world and you start looking for business or looking for customers, you have a benchmark to compare it to. And of course, you're not going to turn down every project if it doesn't you know, exactly fit that mold. But it makes it very easy to say to figure out kind of how far you're deviating at any given time, which means that it's going to make it it's going to make it harder to get kind of scattered and unfocused because you're going to have this kind of metric to measure against. So I think that's the first thing. I think the second thing is to really not be afraid of pulling yourself out of the business. Um, and that can mean through hiring and outsourcing. I think it usually means that. But I think there's a tendency when you're in the four to five figure range um, with your business, you know, if it's a side project or just something you're spinning up, um, it can be very easy to be possessive of your of your business and possessive of all the different parts of your business, and that's that's understandable. You know, you don't have a ton of money to work with, so you know, hiring can feel like a big big uh, commitment of money. But I think it's the the most essential thing you can do to get yourself out of the business and start to kind of scale it and be. Um, you know, you can focus on finding the new business and other people can focus on delivering. So however that looks for you, um, I think that's essential. I love it. If I had a, a third thing, I guess, don't feel like you have to spend every waking hour uh, on your business. Hmm. Um, I think there's a lot that can be gained from doing things outside the business, having other hobbies. I know there are a lot of people... Um, you know, people I think that we both know, um, and I think it's just kind of a common trope in general to, you know, as the founder of a business to be spending, you know, 13, 16, you know, whatever, you know, these, these crazy long days and, and not <laughs> doing anything on, you know, working on the weekends and, um, and just having kind of crazy devotion to your business. And I think there's a time and a place for that. But I think if you want your goal to be, like I think business growth needs to go hand in hand with personal growth, which I think means that you you just can't realistically commit that much energy to a business without appropriately balancing that out in in other ways, whether that's exercise or um, you know I like going to art museums, um, you know reading um, and reading fiction books if you can, you know try to get away from that business mindset a little bit because I think it's going to make you a healthier person. Um, which is going to make you better equipped to run a business. And also, when you get outside the business mindset and are doing non-businessy things, it opens you up to new ideas and new perspectives that you might not have previously thought about before. Um, and, and you might find new opportunities that, that just didn't occur to you because you were kind of so heads down and focused on what you were doing that that you didn't kind of get up and say, oh, there, there's this cool thing over here that I, I really like. And actually, this is really interesting. And I wonder if I could incorporate that somehow. I think that's really essential to have that kind of outside perspective. Chris, I think that is a perfect way to end the podcast, my friend. If there's any listeners out there that want to get a hold of you, where's the best place they can get a hold of you at? 
Sure. So our, our website, tomodomo.co, that's T-O-M-O-D-O-M-O dot C-O. Um, and, and tomodomo is the Japanese word for uh, togetherness um, or, or I guess each and every one is more maybe a more literal translation. Um, but you can find that at tomodomo.co. There's a little contact form on there. Um, and I'm also on Twitter at Chris Van Patten. And um, yeah, I think that, uh, that about covers it. Chris, thank you so much for coming back on the show again. I'm glad to learn that you're doing amazing things out there with your business. And thank you listeners for tuning in once again. That's a wrap for this episode and we'll see you all on the next show. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for established entrepreneurs. Imagine spending an extended period of time with other successful entrepreneurs working together and growing your business. Day to day you interact with other driven and smart business people. Spending an extended period of time around them alters your business and your mentality around business. Goals are set, business grows, new partnerships develop, greater profit margins are achieved, the productivity skyrockets for those that are in the entrepreneur house, and you get to have an incredible adventure while doing it. This year, we have three different events, a three-day productivity weekend in different cities all around the world, a two-week all-inclusive retreat for entrepreneurs with six-figure businesses. This will be full of workshops, masterminds, and adventure. Then a four-week event in Chiang Mai, Thailand for established entrepreneurs, also full of workshops, masterminds, advisors, and fun weekend social events. Be sure to check out the details at theentrepreneurhouse.com as soon as possible. These events will fill up fast. For those of you that are interested in have some questions be sure to contact us through the entrepreneurhouse.com forward slash contact we will respond as soon as possible for now saludos from somewhere in the world I am a person, la la la. Um, <laughs> hope my volume is good. Check one, two, check one, two. It sounds good now. It sounds perfect, actually. I think you were a little awesome. bit away from the mic and it, it wasn't sounding. It was a little quiet. I cool. will hug the mic. Okay. So, um, anything else before we get started? Any questions for me? I don't think so. All good right. Good to go. I'm, I'm glad you're on the podcast. Hope. Oh my alexa let me mute her our alexa broke we got one for christmas and it broke and really yeah and we say alexa and she just lights up and then we'll ask her a question and she doesn't answer anymore that's really weird yeah i don't know what her problem is she's kind of stuck up i think yeah a little moody (laughs) (laughs) all right in three two one let me welcome my good 